our attention during this Christmas season upon one little word. It's the word hope. What a wonderful word that that is. And as believers, we have good reason to be people who are marked by hope. We are weary pilgrims often in our journey here, our sojourning here. But there is a hope that has been won for us by Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so Christmas is about hope. And hope is something that we are assured of, that we are expecting, uh, based upon the promises of God in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have hope. And we looked last week at this fact that we have hope in the wilderness, (laughs) We live in a fallen world, but we have hope as we live in this world. Today, we want to consider Christmas hope for our brokenness. We live in a broken world, but we also are people who are broken. We are people who need this Savior that was born long ago. So there's Christmas hope in this wilderness, in this fallen world in which we live, but there is also Christmas hope for all the ways in which sin has affected us in our brokenness. We read in Genesis 3 that after the fall of Adam and Eve, as they had disobeyed God, We saw last week that they were cast out of the garden, and they are now, and we, their descendants, living east of Eden, living in a world that is under a curse, living in a fallen and broken world. We find also that we are broken. And we read in Genesis 3, where it speaks to, uh, in in Genesis 3, verse 8, that as Adam and Eve were there, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. Here was this God who had made them, made them in his own image. And now what we find as they have sinned is that there is a shame and they are hiding from him. Sin has brought about a drastic change in them, such that this, their creator God, the greatest and the best of all beings, they are now hiding from him. You remember the old nursery rhyme? I don't know if kids know this nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Do you kids know that one? No, maybe not. Anyway, some of us older kids do. You do, okay. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had what? He had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And you know, sin has affected us. We have had a great fall. We have sinned, and that has affected us. And here we find our first parents... They're now hiding from the Lord. They are, we might say, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And the Bible says that all of us, like sheep, we have what? We've gone astray. We have gone astray. That's at the very heart of our brokenness. 
We have forsaken the God who made us. We worship and serve the creature rather than the create the creator. And so we are estranged, running from the one who is the greatest and the best of all beings. So we live in a broken world, but we too are broken. The image of God that we were created in has now been corrupted, and rather than bringing honor and glory to this God, we we live for ourselves. We live unto ourselves. We really are robbers of God's glory, seeking glory for ourselves. And we want to look today at this passage that is not typically probably known as a Christmas passage, but it is. It's a wonderful passage that speaks about this Christmas bread that has come down from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And it gives life to the world. And what we think about as we think about Christmas is that Christ is a rescuer. He is a redeemer. He is one who has come to give help to us in our brokenness because indeed we are broken and we need a divine rescue. And it is Jesus Christ who brings this about. Last night at our banquet, Brian Dallarosco had a shirt on with a picture of Calvin on it. And it said, you are all on the naughty list. (laughs) There's none on the good list. You're all on the naughty list. And that's very true. We have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But here in this wonderful passage, I love John 6. John 6 is the longest chapter in John, but it's also the longest chapter in the, in the, Gospel, or in, in the New Testament. And it speaks about Jesus Christ and his role coming into this world, and he is the bread that comes and brings life in the midst of a, in a world of death and separation from God. I think it's well known to us. Um, there's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to look at, but just some of the things that we want to focus on in, in light of Christmas. Jesus, in the first part of this chapter, has multiplied the bread and the fish. This is a well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. And he has multiplied a little boy's lunch, and he has fed this great multitude of people. And John tells us this is a sign. This is a sign. It is pointing to Jesus. And that's what these stories are for. They are to point us to Jesus. The miracles are pointing us to Jesus and who he is. And in many ways, this is taking place at the time of Passover. In many ways, Jesus is like bringing in a new exodus. Passover was remembering God's redemptive work to bring the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and bring them into the promised land to lead them through the wilderness and to care for them. And he did those things. And it is Jesus who is going to bring in this new exodus. It is Jesus who is going to save his people, not from bondage to a Pharaoh, but bondage to sin, to death, to condemnation. So he is the one who is this going to bring in this new exodus. And he is the one that will feed his people and nourish his people and bring them safely into eternal rest. 
So we begin this with Jesus' mission appears to be gaining momentum. After we find Jesus feeding this multitude of people, some believe maybe fifteen to 20,000 people, if you include women and children, that likely would have been there, we find that having multiplied the bread and the fish, and they were all filled. They didn't just get a little scrap. They were all filled, and they had leftovers, and they collected those. But this brought about an excitement. And we see among the people here this great excitement, and they're ready to um, make him to be king. We see this in verse 15. Uh, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So here is this momentum now that is building in the ministry of Jesus Christ And this large crowd is ready to to make him king. And they've already said, is this possibly the prophet, the prophet that was promised that would come, a prophet like unto Moses? And so here is this crowd that is uh, uh, seeking this one who is a king. Now, Jesus leaves them, but they're pursuing him. They're going to go and find him. Earl Palmer said this could be called the high water mark of Jesus's popularity with the people. There is no single event in the narratives of the New Testament that so completely welded the people's attention. This is a one miracle that is reported in all four Gospels, the the multiplying of the bread and of the fish. So we see that Jesus' ministry appears to be gaining this great momentum and there is this excitement that this promised king is here. But what we find next is that Jesus' mission now appears to be imploding. Just as soon as it seems to be growing and interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, like any other time in his ministry, now things begin to go south. Uh, We think surely Jesus is now going to capitalize on this. I mean, people are coming to him. But what does he do in verse 15 when They are announcing, here maybe is this king. We want to take him and make him to be our king. What does Jesus do? He leaves. He flees from the crowd, the masses, and he goes up into the mountain by himself. This Jesus who fed them leaves them, and he eludes them. And we might think, what is Jesus doing here? Why would he leave them at a time like this and go away? And uh, so he leaves them, and we see in verse 26 that he is now gone and uh, has left them. He has now crossed the uh, Sea of Galilee in a boat, and there had been a storm, and Jesus walked on the water. But now Jesus is in Capernaum. And this crowd, these massive people, have now found him, and they have come uh, to him And it is here that Jesus says to them, verse 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. So now Jesus is in Capernaum. He is going to now teach them and speak to them because they have distorted views about what his mission is all about. They're looking for a king for all the wrong reasons. They're looking for a prophet for all the wrong reasons. 
Their desire was for a a Messiah who met what they thought their real needs were. And Jesus is not that Messiah that they are looking for. That he'll solve all of their problems. He'll throw off the Roman uh, oppression. And Jesus perceives and knows what's in their heart. They're looking for a Santa Christ, not the Christ, the Son of God. Lang, in his commentary, said this. He said, instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they had seen in the sign only the bread. They were moved not by full hearts, but by full bellies. So here is this one who is this bread giver. And we like the bread that he provides. And Jesus now is going to teach them and speak about really what this sign is and what all of this was pointing to, that he is this bread that has come down out of heaven. And as Jesus teaches, what we find is the crowd now becomes disappointed. They become disillusioned. They don't like what Jesus is saying. And what we will find out is the crowd's are going to thin out significantly. And these many disciples who were following him, who had ate the bread, now are turning their backs on Jesus, and they are walking away from him. They were okay with Jesus feeding them, but they didn't want Jesus as this bread that has come down out of heaven. Earl Palmer said, They have been won to the bread giver, Lord, And that is the Lord they desire. In other words, these people have formed a clear image in their minds of the form that Messiah will take. And for the present moment, Jesus of Nazareth is the one who adequately fulfilled that expectation. But the implication is clear. Once Jesus no longer satisfies their expectations, then their praise will turn to wrath. They have a faith that is responding to what they are looking for, but it is not a faith that is willing to be taught and molded by the Lord they seek. This one-sidedness of their faith becomes clear as the dialogue continues and as Jesus refuses to accommodate himself to their dreams. There's a lot of people like that today. Oh, we like certain things about Jesus They liked certain things that he said, certain things that he did. But when you really sit down and you hear some of the things that Jesus said, they don't like that. It's a smorgasbord Jesus. I'll take the things I like and I'll reject the things that I don't like. And that's kind of like this crowd. And at this point, we see that there were many who what we would call were temporary Christians. They liked the bread. They liked the miracle. In China, they would call Christians, so-called Christians, who came among the Christian people because they could get food, they could get rice. They called them rice Christians. They only hung around as long as there was rice. And so it was with this crowd. They were those temporary disciples, temporary followers, not true disciples of Jesus. But at this point, the question might be asked, is this incarnation a failure? I mean, I mean, Jesus has come into this world, and 
we see a mass of people, his own people, who are rejecting him and not believing. Um, Notice verse 36. I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And you remember, they asked for another sign. Do, Do another sign and we'll believe in you. And there's this problem in their heart. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. That they do not want this Jesus as he is presenting himself here. But we might ask the question, is this mission of Jesus, is it, is it going to fail? Things might look bleak here. I mean, if you can imagine this mass of people that had been fed by him, and now they followed him into Capernaum the next day, and they're listening to him, and now they're all leaving, or a large majority of them are now leaving, it might seem that this mission is imploding. And it might appear that providence seems to be working against promise. He's supposed to be a Messiah, a king, a savior, but people are rejecting him. More importantly, we might ask this question, What is Jesus thinking at this point? Is Jesus frustrated? Is he dejected? Is he sensing that his mission is a failure? Right in the heart of this passage in John 6, we find Jesus clarifying his mission. And I love this portion of John 6. And it really is helpful to us to see what is upon the heart and the mind of Jesus as he has come into this world. And it's written for the disciples' benefit. We can only imagine that Peter and James and John and the other disciples, as they're watching this, that all of these people are now leaving Jesus. They were probably getting a little excited. We're seeming to get some momentum, and now these people are leaving. And I think Jesus, as as he preaches here in the synagogue there, at Capernaum, he encourages his disciples. He gives them insight. And I think it's helpful for us as well in our own day. It's a benefit for us as well as we think about the mission of Jesus Christ. We are given insight into this covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son before the world ever began. There is this divine blueprint and the reason for which this baby is born in Bethlehem. So here we find Jesus in verses 37 to 40, we find Jesus defining his mission. We've already heard as we think of the Christmas story, we hear the angels making announcements to the shepherds, there's a savior that's born to you in the city of Bethlehem. To Joseph, an angel says that you're to name this baby Jesus, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And now we hear from the lips of Jesus himself the whole purpose of his incarnation. The whole reason that he left heaven, came to earth. And we have his own statement and clarification as he defines his mission. And Jesus has always been conscious of this. Even as a 12-year-old boy, you remember when he was there at the temple, his mom and dad had left and they had to come back and find him. And he says to his parents, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. So he has something, even at the age of 12, in which he's aware of that 
He's on a mission. It's not his father, Joseph, but his father above. He's on a mission. And so here is Jesus defining for us his mission. And it's not abstract. It's not vague. It's not general. Really, it's very specific. And all of this in the face of verse 36, this unbelief. So in light of this massive unbelief that in light of this miracle that he has done, listen to the words of Jesus in verse 37. He says, right on the heels of that, all that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven Here's an incarnation explanation by Jesus himself. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So here is Jesus says, The Father has entrusted to me a people. He has given to me a people. For I have come down, I have come down from heaven for this purpose, because the Father has given me a people, and they will... Uh, and, and, and the one who comes to me, I will in no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father. That's why I have come. He is the servant that is spoken about in Isaiah, the servant of Yahweh. And I've come not to do my own will. I've come to do the will of my Father. And he has entrusted to me a people that I might redeem that I might save people who are broken by sin, people who are alienated from God, people who are sheep going their own way. And the Father has given me a people that no one can number, that I might redeem them, that I might save them, that I might purify them and make them holy and acceptable before my God. Paul speaks about this in in Ephesians 5, that Christ has loved his church And he gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her and present her to himself and to his father, we could say, as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, being holy and without blemish. So Jesus' mission is to undo what sin had done. It brought separation. It brought fallenness and brokenness, alienation from God, death, spiritual death. But Jesus has come to redeem and to save these people that have been given to him by his Father. And we can go to Ephesians 1, and we read there that to all who are in Christ, they were chosen by God before the world ever began, chosen in Christ before the world ever began. Think about that. And then here, as we think of the Christmas message, Jesus said, this is why I've come into the world, so that all that the Father has given to me, that I might give unto them 
eternal life. That is why I'm here. This is the mission that I have come to do, to accomplish. And so we see Jesus. He will not allow men to set his agenda, such as the crowd was wanting him to be a certain kind of king, a certain kind of prophet. Jesus has come to do the will of his Father. So we do need a prophet. We do need one to teach us, and it is Jesus. And we do need a king to rule over us, and it is Jesus. But we also need a priest, don't we? We need a priest who is able to offer up a sacrifice because of our sin, because of our brokenness, alienation from God. And Jesus is just such a savior. So Jesus defines his mission, why he's come into this world. And what we see is that, secondly, that Jesus is fully assured of the success of his mission. I love what Jesus says in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice Jesus said, I've not come down from heaven to, to, to make a good attempt to do the will of my Father. No, I have come down from heaven to do, to accomplish the will of my Father. And we hear Jesus saying something similar in his great high priestly prayer in John 17. Father, I finished the work that you have given to me and all that you've given to me that I might give unto them eternal life. So Jesus is assured of his mission. He will not fail. He will accomplish. He will do the Father's will. This baby that is born in Bethlehem will succeed in accomplishing the will of his Father. And so even if there are those here as Jesus is ministering who do not come to Christ and do not follow him and reject him, Jesus is assuring us that he will accomplish his purpose, that there will be those who will come. Notice verse 37. All that the Father gives me, what? They will come to me. They will come to me. And all those that come to me, I'm not going to cast one of them out. There is this united ministry between the Father and the Son, a united purpose. And all that the Father's given to me, they're going to come to me, and I'm not going to cast one away. And we also look down at verse 44 to see how this comes about. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. We, by nature, as fallen sons of Adam, go our own way. We're sheep. We have a heart that is a heart of stone. And left to ourselves, we would never, ever come to this Christ. We have a problem. But here is a solution to that problem. In the midst of our brokenness, we be in Christ. This is what God has done for us. He has opened our eyes, opened our hearts, given us a new heart so that we come to Christ. We see our need, and only Christ can satisfy that need. And it is, it is God who has drawn us by his grace. 
So the word draw here is this idea of the divine purpose and the divine power. It is the Father who has drawn us and given us a sight of our sin, but also a sight of the glory and the beauty of Christ. This bread that has come down out of heaven is a bread in which we feast upon. And so as we think about this bread that has come down out of heaven, it is the Father through the Spirit who has enabled us to see our need of him. Notice also in verse 45, it is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father what comes to me. Think about this, brothers and sisters. If you're in Christ, you have been taught by the Father. It is the Father who has drawn you to Jesus Christ, this bread that has come down out of heaven. We were broken by our sin, by the fall. But here is the remedy. Here is the grace of God in Christ. Here is the work of God on behalf of sinners. That God in his grace sent Christ on a mission that will not fail. Jesus is assured of this. I've come to do the will of my Father. And notice verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, that I should should lose nothing. I I should lose none of them, but I will raise them up in the last day. All the Father has given me, I'm going to raise all of them up in the last day. As they have been taught by the Father, as they have come to him. And so here again we see that Jesus is confident in his mission. He will do the very thing that God has called him to do, his Father has called him to do, and he will not fail. Now as we come to the end of this chapter, Jesus has a talk with his own disciples. As probably, again, they're discouraged. They see all of these people walking away. We read in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples, many of these who had been following him, maybe for some time, they went back and they walked with him no more. And here's Jesus' question for the 12. Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to go away? We love Peter at this point, don't we? And Simon Peter answered, and he said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You, and the idea is you and you alone have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we see here, as Jesus addresses these 12, that Peter's answer is the answer that all of God's people give, who have been taught by the Father. Where else could we go? Lord, only you have the words of eternal life. Only you are this bread that has come down out of heaven that gives life to the world that gives life to everyone who comes to Jesus and believes in him from whatever nation, tribe, language they come from. This is bread, living bread, that has come down 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And this whole chapter talks about believing in him, partaking of him, eating his flesh, eating his blood, meaning that they come to Christ for who he is, receive him and believe in him. And today as we think about Christmas and about hope, Jesus' mission is related to our brokenness. In every way in which sin has broken us, Jesus has come to redeem and to save a people. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. He has come to save his people from their sins in every way in which sin has affected us. It has separated us from God. It has made us to be a people who are bent in upon ourselves rather than living for the glory of God. It is a ministry to restore in us the image of God. We have been predestined, Paul says, to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. And so Jesus has come to do for us what we so desperately need. And so we see here that he has purchased us. He's given his life for us. We've been drawn to him. He is also the one who keeps us. Aren't you thankful for that? There is something that will never happen to those who are united to Christ. He will never lose you. You'll never be lost. He who began the good work in you will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. And he is at work in us to make us to be more and more holy and Christ-like. The grace of God has appeared, Paul says, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness and to live holy and righteous in this present world, right in the midst of this world in which we live. And so this morning, as we think about Christmas, is a message of hope to all who have fled to Christ. In all of our brokenness, and all the ways in which sin has ruined us, enslaved us, He has come to redeem us, to save us, to reconcile us to our God. And the question is as it would be posed to us, will you leave me too? In the midst of sometimes life when it's hard, being a disciple of Christ when it's hard, when it is costly, when we're going through great affliction and trouble, will you leave me, Jesus asks. And the heart of the believer responds in the midst of sometimes tears. Lord, where else could I ever go? It is only you that has the words of eternal life. And I've come to believe and know that you truly are the son of God. And life is found in you. You are that bread that has come down out of heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 We are told there that Jesus has died for us, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. That's what Adam and Eve had done, living for themselves. That's what sin does. It makes us to pursue our own things. But the gospel is a transforming power so that we no longer live for ourselves, 
but for the one who died for us. The old Christmas hymn, I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come forth to die for what? For poor, ornery sinners such as I. What a wonder. What a glory. We have such a Savior that would come and do this for us. Now, if you're here without Christ, we point you to him. The way in which God saves sinners is the proclamation of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. He's bread that has come down out of heaven to give life to the world. It's found in him. If you're here without Christ, we point you to him. Flee to Jesus Christ and live in him. May God help us in this Christmas season to be mindful of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. In every way in which sin has broken us, he has come to heal us. He's come to save us. He is the bread that has come down out of heaven that gives life to this world. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.